Hello everyone and welcome to the September 11th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The phrase pylon is a phrase used in football which describes the action of one or more players jumping on top of a player or group of players after a tackle has been made. This phrase may now be an accurate description of what states are doing in litigation against opioid drug makers. The state of New Mexico has joined a drug maker pylon as it sued eight opioid manufacturers and wholesale distributors this month. It is now the latest state or local government to file a lawsuit seeking to hold corporations accountable for a national drug addiction epidemic. New Mexico accused Purdue Pharma, Johnson & Johnson, Allergan, Endo International, and Teva Pharmaceutical Industries of pushing addictive painkillers through deceptive marketing. The lawsuit also accused wholesale distributors McKesson Corporation, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Bergen Corporation of breaching their legal duties to monitor, detect, and report suspicious orders of prescription opioids. The lawsuit followed a wave of cases against drug makers by Oklahoma, Mississippi, Ohio, Missouri, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, as well as several cities and counties in states including California, Illinois, and New York. New Mexico's lawsuit contends that the drug makers downplayed the risks of addiction to prescription opioids and falsely touted the benefits of their long-term use. It also accused the wholesale distributors of violating their duties by selling large amounts of painkillers that were then diverted for illicit uses, helping to contribute to the opioid epidemic. The lawsuit seeks damages including for the costs New Mexico has incurred responding to the epidemic. The companies have in similar cases denied wrongdoing. The drug makers have said they acted responsibly in connection with marketing the drugs which carry U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved labels warning about their risks. Purdue, the maker of OxyContin, said it will vigorously deny the allegations, but shares public officials' concerns about the opioid crisis and is committed to working collaboratively to find solutions. Cardinal Health called the lawsuit misguided, saying it was launched in haste and without any factual investigation to support it. Federal Judge George H. Wu has again scheduled to hear more arguments in his downtown Los Angeles courtroom for and against imposing a preliminary injunction halting the implementation of newly adopted SB 1160. This new law provides for a stay on lien claims filed by indicted medical providers until after their case has been resolved. The suit is filed by Dr. Eduardo Aguizola, who is facing multiple counts of insurance fraud filed by Orange County prosecutors. His federal lawsuit claims that SB 1160 and Labor Code Section 4615, which is the anti-fraud law that took effect January 1, violates the 5th, 6th, and 14th Amendments of the United States Constitution. His request for a preliminary injunction was originally scheduled for hearing in July, but the motion was continued to August to allow additional briefing. 
The plaintiffs argued that the new law violates the procedural component of the due process clause because it immediately stays all liens without notice or a hearing. The DWC responded that the new law affords sufficient due process because lien claimants still have the same rights afforded to them by the workers' compensation scheme generally. However, in the July tentative ruling, Judge Wu pointed out that the DWC did not explain how these pre-existing procedures would actually be used to challenge a stay. The judge asked the parties to provide more information about how due process might be afforded lien claimants under Labor Code Section 4615. The case is now focused on the narrow issue of a facial challenge to newly adopted Labor Code Section 4615, which implements SB 1160. To succeed in a facial challenge to a statute, a party must show that the law is unconstitutional in all of its applications, not just one theoretical application. Because facial constitutional challenges often rest on speculation, they are disfavored under federal law. Thus, the fact that a statute might operate unconstitutionally under some circumstances is not enough to render it invalid against a facial challenge. Since July, many additional arguments and declarations were filed in this case by both parties. The DWC filed a 117-page declaration of Workers' Compensation Chief Judge Paige Levy. Her declaration clearly articulated how lien claimants have rights to due process under the new law. And indeed, she attached several illustrative cases on the stay law that have been decided by either removal or reconsideration by the WCAB commissioners. Essentially, several panel decisions have held that any lien claimant who asserts they do not fall subject to the stay have the right to have their argument heard and decided upon filing a DOR on the issue. Any work comp judge that refused to do so was overturned. Chief Judge Levy pointed out the statutory and regulatory provisions that allowed lien claimants in these illustrative cases to challenge the application of the automatic stay to their individual case. The plaintiffs responded to the Levy Declaration by claiming that the declaration of Judge Levy was nothing more than an attempt to throw a Hail Mary, and they asked for expedited discovery to depose her. The outcome of the August hearing was an order continuing the preliminary injunction motion to September 25, and the parties were given a time schedule to file supplemental briefs on these limited issues. Thus, the outcome of the case will not be known until at least the end of September. And now our crime report. A former California Highway Patrol officer has pleaded no contest to felony workers' compensation insurance fraud. Former Officer Brian Christopher Hansen was a California Highway Patrol officer who sustained a back injury while on duty in 2008. The criminal complaint alleged that Hansen made numerous false statements to various doctors, investigators, and in a sworn deposition regarding the extent of his physical disabilities. Hansen claimed that he could only drive for short periods of time, could not sit for more than 30 minutes, could not pick up items weighing more than 10 pounds, and cannot even perform limited office duties. He was placed on limited duty status in April 2009 
while the CHP began an investigation. Videotape surveillance showed him driving for hours at a time, moving furniture when he changed residences, bending over and picking up items weighing more than 30 pounds, and engaging in everyday activities with no signs of any physical limitations. Physicians who reviewed his medical reports and surveillance videos agreed that Hansen did suffer an injury, but that he overstated his symptoms and understated his capabilities. Hansen was sentenced to 180 days in Sacramento County Jail and five years formal probation. He is also prohibited from ever seeking or accepting employment as a law enforcement officer. Hansen graduated from the CHP Academy in 2007 and left the department in January 2012. The Redding native worked for the Shasta County Sheriff's Office before joining the CHP. And in regulatory news, the DWC has modified the newly proposed Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule Drug Formulary Regulations mandated by Assembly Bill 1124. The DWC has reviewed input from the first 15-day comment period and has modified the proposed regulations to provide additional detail and clarity. Some of the new changes proposed in the revised regulations include clarification that a compounded drug is subject to regulation even if it includes an active ingredient listed as exempt on the drug list. This modification is expected to avert the possibility that someone could argue that a compounded drug using one of the listed drugs is exempt. The proposal also removed provisions relating to repackaged drugs. The current structure of the MTUS drug list does not require identification of a drug's status as repackaged. In the future, the DWC may address repackaged drugs and may determine whether particular provisions of the formulary and MTUS drug list are needed to address issues raised by the use of repackaged drugs. And the perioperative fill period was clarified to begin four days rather than two days before surgery. The notice of modification of the text of the proposed regulations and the related rulemaking documents are posted on the DWC rulemaking web page. The WCIRB Governing Committee voted to amend its January 2018 Pure Premium Rate Filing that was submitted to the Insurance Commissioner on August 18. The vote was based on the Actuarial Committee's review of recently available June loss experience, which showed lower-than-anticipated loss development in the second quarter. The WCIRB now proposes advisory pure premium rates that average $1.96 per $100 of payroll instead of $2.01 per $100 of payroll proposed in the August 18 filing. These amended proposed pure premium rates are on average 2% less than the average approved July 1 advisory pure premium rate. The California Department of Insurance has scheduled a public hearing on October 5 in San Francisco to consider the WCIRB's proposal. And in medical news, the drug epidemic in America is increasingly fueled by synthetic opioids like fentanyl, which overtook heroin 
as the deadliest substance in the U.S. in 2016. The Centers for Disease Control estimates that drug deaths rose by more than 22% in 2016, killing over 64,000 Americans. Opioid deaths rose from 33,000 in 2015 to nearly 50,000 in 2016, driven primarily by fentanyl, a painkiller roughly 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine. Synthetic opioids, including fentanyl, claimed roughly 20,100 lives in 2016, up from only 10,000. And heroin continues to be a major problem, killing an estimated 15,400 Americans a year. Fentanyl is also fueling an increase in cocaine deaths, as dealers are increasingly cutting the fatal painkiller into their cocaine supplies. In June, the Drug Enforcement Agency issued new guidance to police departments across the country on how to handle heroin and other narcotics due to the increasing prevalence of fentanyl. It warned that it only takes 2 milligrams of fentanyl, which is the equivalent of a few grains of table salt, to cause a fatal overdose. Dealers in the U.S. and Mexican cartels are turning to China for shipments of fentanyl at a fraction of the price of heroin. It is then used to create roughly 20 times more doses out of a heroin batch, providing dealers with huge profits. Officials estimate that more than 90% of heroin in the United States is flowing in from Mexico. A bipartisan proposal in the United States Senate would give border agents the technology to screen for chemicals at the U.S. entry points in an effort to target fentanyl shipments. And the STOP Act aims to put packages shipped through the U.S. Postal Service under more intense security screenings to cut down on international trafficking. But experts claim that even in a best-case scenario, this crisis will not visibly start to subside until after 2020. In the United States, roughly 1.7 million hospital-associated infections from all types of microorganisms, including bacteria and fungi, combined, caused or contributed to nearly 100,000 deaths each year. And a hospital-associated infection of an injured worker being treated for an industrial injury may give rise to an additional claim for benefits as a compensable consequence injury. And now, a new public study that says that the risk includes untreatable hospital-associated infections that are now deadly. Researchers say an outbreak of severe pneumonia at a Chinese hospital was caused by hypervirulent, highly drug-resistant, and highly transmissible strains of infectious pneumonia. Their findings were reported recently in the Lancet publication on infectious diseases. The strains were identified in five patients in the intensive care unit of a hospital in China. All five patients had surgery for multiple trauma, followed by ventilation, and subsequently developed infections and severe pneumonia that responded poorly to all available antibiotics. And five patients died of severe lung infection, multi-organ failure, or septic shock. 
Analysis of the strains recovered from the patients indicated that the strains had almost identical antibacterial susceptibility profiles and shared highly similar DNA fingerprints. Further genetic and phonotypic characterization showed that all five belonged to a lineage that contained several resistance genes and originated from a single clone. Researchers concluded that these new strains are simultaneously hypervirulent and multidrug resistant and transmissible and should therefore be regarded as a real superbug that could pose a serious threat to public health. Two experts from Rutgers University wrote that the study describes an alarming evolutionary event raising worries that the organisms might not only cause untreatable hospital infections, but also serious life-threatening ones in the community. The new findings underscore the need for new effective antibiotics and new strategies such as vaccines, phage therapy, and gene therapy for battling drug-resistant organisms. However, the researchers also say that we are now in a crisis. From a claims administration standpoint, one might question the track record of facilities that are used to treat injured workers and steer clear of facilities with tenacious infection histories. Some of this information is publicly available but not widely known. The Healthcare Associated Infections, or HAI, program is one of two programs in the Center for Healthcare Quality of the California Department of Public Health. The program was created by mandate to oversee the prevention, surveillance, and reporting of healthcare-associated infections in California's general acute care hospitals. The HAI program has published annual public reports of hospital data to inform consumers and prompt providers to take actions to prevent infections. The latest report identifies almost 2,900 healthcare-acquired infections in California and predicted an overall infection rate of about 4,700 for the year, which was then allocated to medical facilities by name. Surprisingly, the Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center had 149 observed infections, the highest of any facility in the most recent list. It is likely that claims administrators can manage the risk of a compensable consequence injury caused by hospital-associated infections by periodic scrutiny of these reports. And in other industry news, Charles Taylor has agreed to acquire Metro Risk Management, LLC, from Nautilus International Holding Corporation for an undisclosed amount of money. Metro Risk Management was founded in 1996 as a subsidiary of Metropolitan Stevedore Company, which was one of the earliest self-insured, self-administered companies in California. Its subsidiaries, Metro Ports, Metro Cruise Services, Metro Shore Services, and Metro Risk Management, are a suite of companies known internationally as leaders in stevedoring, terminal operations, logistics, risk management, and much more. Charles Taylor is a leading international provider of professional services to clients in the global insurance market. It has been providing services since 1884 and today has over 
1,800 staff in 71 offices spread across 28 countries in the UK, the Americas, Asia-Pacific, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. This deal is part of Charles Taylor's plans to extend its U.S. workers' compensation claims capabilities. Metro Risk Management is based in Southern California and provides state and federal workers' compensation claims administration services to self-insured clients and insurers. The Nautilus Chairman, President, and Chief Executive said, This transaction will provide its staff with greater opportunities for career development and advancement. The Charles Taylor USA CEO said, The company is excited to join forces with Metro Risk Management, given the company's history of providing quality service and proven expertise to long-term, deeply satisfied clients. Metro Risk Management broadens Charles Taylor's claim services on the West Coast, adding to the core federal workers' compensation, ports, terminals, marine casualty, and cyber TPA businesses. For Charles Taylor Group, Chief Executive said, The acquisition reflects the firm's continued commitment to growing its TPA businesses in the U.S. and globally. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.